Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Die Young to my John Medeski. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, 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 how are we? Good weekend? It's been, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a good weekend. I've not got really much to add. I've, I've not been to any derby games. I've not really left the house. I went to watch my niece play football, which was which was good fun. Under nines football is chaos, and like they kick, they just kick each other, and it's great to watch as a as a as a neutral. Um, because if that was a normal football match, grown adults playing it, you know there'd be fouls left, right, and centre. But they just kick ten balls the shit out of each other. It's fantastic. Yeah, but when it's a, when it's an adult game and they start kicking each other, you're like, oh, this feels like it could all kick off any moment. But when it's a under nines game, it's just funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, go on, go on, kick him, kick him, kick her, go on. It's like you just you just want it more, um, which is a which is a terrible thing. You don't want children to get hurt, but it's also they're not very good footballers yet, yet. So the only thing, interesting thing that happens is they kick ten balls the shit out of each other. It, were you just constantly laughing at each time it happens? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny because I'm a grown so adult. Like I've been through that. Hurting each other. Well, to be fair, yeah. It, 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 um, you know, when there's tears, when there's tears, you know, it is. It, you do raise a wry smile. Um, but uh, I'm not a sadist or anything. I don't want children to get hurt in the long term. <laughs> what a start to the show. Welcome to the number one championship podcast. The second tier, thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we've had a weekend of championship football for us to mull over. So we're going to go through some of the games from the championship over the past weekend. Some, I mean, some big results, haven't there? Some massive, massive results, really. So we'll talk about all of that. Um, and and uh, this is a bit of a change of pace from our perspective, but we are also going to have a quick chat about the situation at Reading. Of course, I know people will say, well, that's not the championship. And we know it's not. Thank you for letting us know. Um, but <laughs> it just feels like such a big deal that, and I, I mean, keep in mind, Reading have been a championship club for so many years prior to, you know, mm-hmm. this season. So um, we are going to have a little chat about that. And we'll also, as usual, do the polls and finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end of the show. But let's kick off with our championship dose, shall we, Justin? And we'll begin with the M69 derby and the late fight back by Coventry City. Saw them beat Leicester 3-1. It's only the second time in 18 meetings between the pair that Coventry have won. So that's another reason why it's an excellent result, aside from, you know, Leicester being the best team in the league. Uh, Three-word review from Jack, who's a Cough fan. Book Wembley now. Sean's is salty Leicester tears. Uh, Nath is a Leicester fan. He says, referee ruined weekend. Nick says, we were robbed. Uh, The game was turned on its head after a straight red card, just before halftime for Leicester's Abdul Fataru. Uh, Do you think it was a red, Justin? 
Mm, no, no, I don't think it was. I'm, I'm quite adamant that it, it wasn't. I know there's a lot of people who are dissecting it, saying he's got two feet off the ground. I mean, can you can you jump into a challenge or can you challenge someone without your feet or both your feet ever leaving the ground? I think it's quite a difficult thing to do. To quote Don Goodman, I think it was a hard yellow, the hardest of yellows. I just, it's just not a red for me. And I think the referee's gone in too hot to give the red card. Um, I think he needed to give himself a, a brief moment to um, to not allow the crowd to like you know, G up, the players to G up. Um, and it just felt there was a lot impacting his, his decision rather than the actual challenge. It's a late challenge. It was a bit of a lunge. But it wasn't significant. It's not the worst challenge I've seen this season. It's certainly not the worst challenge I've seen that um, it was even a yellow card this season. There, there have been worse challenges that have you know, gone unnoticed, shall we say. I'm surprised that you think that, Justin. I'm surprised that I've seen plenty of other people on social media say it's not a red because it's so late that Great Northern Rail were getting jealous. It was, <laughs> it was reckless. He was never getting the ball. So the fact that the referee gave it straight away and there weren't any complaints from the Leicester players I think says a lot and I, I didn't see what was said at half time but I'm led to believe the pundits in the Sky Studio were also saying it was a red so I, I think people like you Justin who don't understand the game will say it's not a red and yeah <laughs> it may not be the most dangerous tackle we'll see all season but he was never getting the ball and I think Fataru knew that uh, I, 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 it just popped into my mind now that it, probably what's influencing my mindset and my thinking is I've just come back after watching an under nines game yes. of football where they kick town brows <laughs> and shit out of each other. So I'm expecting blood and guts here. Um, that's the you know that's, that's the worst scenario you know that should happen in in a challenge. I just I just don't think it is a red. I think it's a derby. You're going to get challenges like this. Um, I think the only contact that hits Jake Bidwell is uh, for two's trailing leg. It's um, you got to take them into into isolation. Well, he's never of getting the ball, just, Justin, was he? No, he wasn't. But there's a lot of challenges go- that that happen that that are similar to that. Are they? Um, you'd argue, uh, yeah. I'll go to the Dominic Calvert Lewin one of Chris, uh, against Crystal Palace for Everton. Um, he catches him on the shin, but it's not enough contact for it to be a red. But he's lunging. He's both feet. All of the uh, you know reasoning for this one being a red. Same thing happened to Calvert Lewin. That got overturned. Um, I'd be surprised if this one got overturned, to be honest with you, because it is, it well, is a, a yellow card challenge. No, 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 no. It is a yellow card challenge, but I don't think VAR would overturn it. I wouldn't have given a red in that scenario. I wouldn't have given a red card in that scenario. That's just a personal preference, a personal opinion, sorry. Um, I don't think that was enough contact um, for it to be a red card. Mm, I'm not sure about that, but it was a brilliant result for Coventry either way, wasn't it? And we said in our preview show with SBK that this would be a great indicator for us to see where this Coventry side are at. And Mm -hmm. this shows that they're the real deal. Yes, they were playing against 10 men for half the game, but to come back in the way that they did and end up winning so brilliantly was just goes to show what they're all about. Yeah, they're they're a good side. It's not really a surprise either because, I mean, it can be... You can sort of go about it and say it is a surprise because there was such a heavy recruitment um, strategy in the summer. They needed to replace Victor Giacarez. They needed to eventually replace Gus Hamer. And it's it's slowly evolving to the you know, the point that it is now. They, 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 they look more rounded. They look a lot more rounded than they did at any point last season. There was a lot of reliance on Hamer and, and Giacarez. It might be a bit unfair to say that, but... The individual quality of those two did get Coventry um, out of the you know out of situations quite quite often, but it's a flexible style of play by Robbins. The the change in formation, 
the um, the reaction to obviously the penalty that that wasn't a penalty by the way that shouldn't have been a penalty it's another bad decision from the referee in this game but the reaction from that decision again you know it, it was calm they got a settled spine there's just a lot going for Coventry at the moment and it's not a surprise because they've got a good um, backroom team um, at, uh, over at the CBS well in their last eight games they've won 18 points from an available 24 and only Leicester have won more points in that time. And also, most impressively, in that time, they've played the likes of Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, Middlesbrough and Sunderland. So it really is sensational, this turnaround. And it shows the kind of level that they're at, doesn't it? So many players are banging form, like Callum O'Hare, who's been excellent since coming back from that serious injury. He's really shown everyone what Kov had been missing. And then Ben Sheaf is the best ball-winning midfielder in the division. For me, I'll keep talking about Tatsuhiro Sakamoto, who's just <laughs> such a thrilling player. And a shout-out as well for Melan van Ekwijk, at right-back, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who I've been impressed with on so many occasions, particularly recently. And his his goal was uh, really well taken as well. It's going so well for Kov right now. And in fact, it's going so well that I won't be surprised if the playoffs becomes a bit of a closed shop in the near future because the top four is pretty much sewn up as we know and Coventry are going so well West Brom are kind of in a little class of their own but Coventry are going so well that it's looking quite difficult for anyone to potentially get near them if things carry on it's an interesting debate, isn't it? I do think Hull and Middlesbrough have got a lot to say in this uh, scenario. I don't. I'm not overly convinced by Mick Beale and Sunderland. More convinced by Sunderland, but it's not Mick Beale, to be honest with you. Um, and then you're going down to Norwich, Preston, Cardiff, Watford, inconsistent sides who just can't get a run together a former at the moment. So I think Hull and Middlesbrough have got a lot to say, but I think a lot of Coventry's, Coventry's recent success is down to having that settled formation, the settled side, a settled spine as well, but also Callum O'Hare, as you mentioned. I mean, his contract's up in the summer, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him over the next month or, or a couple of weeks left of the January transfer window, not to speculate, but that could um, that could make things interesting, which could, could derail the season because, you know, good players can do that. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, Coventry, no surprise to see them where they are, where they're at now. They're a fantastic side under Mark Robbins. But they've also signed Danish midfielder Victor Torp this mm-hmm. week. A lot of the stat bods are very excited by that one. So he's certainly a player to keep an eye on. But yeah, it's going very well for Coventry. And only one of their next six games is against a team in the top half. So don't be surprised to see them continue this excellent form. It's one hell of a smoothie that's being developed at Coventry, isn't it, Justin? Uh, it's just Leicester's fourth loss of the season. First loss in 12 games. They were the only team in the top six not to win this weekend, but they have still got a seven-point lead on Ipswich in second. So I think it's safe to say they should be all right. Uh, their next game, though, Ipswich at home. It feels like it's a, well, it's a big game, as we all know, but it feels like they only played each other last week. So yeah. <laughs> it's a strange one, but it's a biggie, isn't it? We'll discuss that in due course, Justin. In fact, let's discuss the Tractor Boys now. They ended their run of five games without a win by beating Sunderland 2-1. IPK's three-word review. Connor Chaplin, baby. And Daniel says Leaf is back. And the Ipswich are going up. Tractor is back on track, Justin. Yeah, look at you, your tractor getting all on your high—not high horse, high, but tractor. high tractor in this. High, yeah, in this in this scenario, yeah, it, it, it was a great it was a great way to bounce back, and I think I was really impressed with Ipswich because they've had to close up shop in in recent games. They've lost um, losing George Hurst has is, is really derailed them going forward. So tightening up and getting results and chipping away at it that way, I think, has been quite smart from McKenna. I think that's going to stand him in good stead as well um, over the course of the next three or four months left of the season because. 
yeah, he showed last season that um, simple tweaks and, and 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 changes here and there, um, and and they they went on this flying on beating run, didn't they? And that's what got them into into the uh, back into the championship. And I think they can do something similar because McKenna's a good coach. But yeah, to react the way they did, to, to be doing it without George Hurston, um, you know, a fit available striker, uh, or no, that's quite unfair because Caden Jackson did play very well in this game, I thought, but. Yeah, it's just a good way to bounce back and get get on um, get on winning ways, get back to winning ways because it could have easily been a game where Sunderland edged because they got the quality to do it, but it's which shut them out. Yeah, and I think this game's to show this game goes to show why Leif Davis is so important to the yeah. Ipswich team because not just in terms of him being one of the best creators in the division, but being able to produce when it matters because that free kick for the winner was right on the money. It went exactly where it needed to go. And he's one of, if not the best at being able to do that. You know, finding a player who's five foot seven in the box and making him score <laughs> a header. Hard thing to do. <laughs> Quite difficult, but fair play to him. Ten assists for the season now, by the way. An incredible number for a left back. But Connor Chaplin was unbelievable as well. What was it you were saying on Friday, Justin? Can he do it without George Hurst? Hang your head. In shame because oh, I was asking a question. I was not assuming. I was just merely asking the question. I don't right. see you hanging your head in shame because um, he was out <laughs> of this world in this game. So a great win, and to do it without the elusive striker, it's very impressive. But they still desperately need to sign at least one this month, don't they? I don't think yeah. this result should change anyone's mind on that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, I've seen that they've been linked with Sam Gallagher. So it's clearly they're going for a, a profile of striker who's capable of playing with his back to goal, um, who's comfortable doing that and is also a bit of a unit and has experience of scoring goals. It's a very difficult thing to do in a January transfer window. Um, I think everyone associated with it, which will be, will be aware of that. And it's also quite expensive. But if they want to keep pushing for the top two, they need a striker. So the ambitions are there for promotion they need a striker because you know is George Hurst going to be fit enough for that running at the end of the season you know if he's going to be back around April towards the end of the season is he going to be really fit enough to um, be able to you know manage the the, the ferocity of, of a playoff campaign for example etc probably not so they absolutely categorically need a striker and it looks like they're well on the way to to making that happen yeah well Sam Gallagher as you mentioned has been linked. Jay Stansfield on loan at Birmingham continues to be of interest. Watford's Mileta Rajevic is one I've seen this week, which is strange because mm-hmm. they only signed him in the summer. So we'll see. Kieran McKenna has admitted it's proving difficult to find a good one who's within their budget, but it could ultimately make or break their season. So needs to happen, doesn't it? Uh, by the way, mm-hmm. something I only noticed earlier by merely glancing at the table, but after Leicester's defeat, Ipswich have now lost the fewest games in the league this season. I mean, come on. What an achievement that is. It's impressive enough them being second, but I thought worth mentioning considering their budget compared to the teams around them. Very, very impressive. And losing to an excellent side like Ipswich is nothing to be ashamed about from a Sunderland perspective. But I'll tell you what, fans aren't happy, are they? Uh, When you go on the full-time result tweet from Saturday night on the Sunderland Twitter, look at the replies and you will lose count of the number of tweets which say something along the lines of Beal out. And there <laughs> appears to be growing discontent amongst Sunderland supporters, doesn't there? Yeah, I mean, Beal said they had enough chances to win this game. The fuck they did. Ipswich deserved to win this game. Beal is taking the good things out of this Sunderland side. Let's be honest. He's, he's, they're a roast dinner without any gravy. They're dry. They're bland. <laughs> they're a bit pale. It's all very McBeal. We saw this with QPR. They were 
top of the league obviously when he left Rangers last season I think that's the headline but they weren't exactly fantastic they relied uh, on quite a number of occasions Chris Willock's individual quality to shoot from distance and score um, and this is quite a telling statistic as well three of their worst performance uh, worst performances this season from a chance creation perspective have come, come under McBeal it's a very difficult thing to do in a Sunderland side it's packed full of the attacking quality and technical quality it's got <laughs> to turn them into a boring bland team McBeal's managed it a fair play that's a quite an achievement <laughs> well as we were saying in the, in the previous show Sunderland hadn't put a foot wrong in terms of PR since their promotion from League One. And then in the last month, they've just repeatedly shot themselves in the foot. Of course, sacking Tony Mowbray, appointing Mick Beale, the Newcastle banner fiasco, losing in the Tyneweir derby. And then results since Beale's appointment haven't been anywhere enough to convince supporters that he's the right man. Because the results haven't been terrible, but and also the performances haven't been bad for that matter, but they haven't been great either. The ultimate thing though, and the main thing is the fans have made it very clear. They do not believe in this manager. So Mm. I think Sunderland may have a decision to make. Admittedly, it's very early on and I would be surprised, very surprised in fact, if they were to sack him, but it's going to be very difficult for them to succeed this season if the fans aren't behind the project, are they? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Obviously, the fans don't make the decision uh, of who's going to be the manager. The board does. Um, and Beale's done a very good job in convincing the board that he's he's the man because uh, he was... <laughs> there, were, there were better candidates that were linked with the, the, the role. Obviously, we don't know the, the inner process, but there were better candidates linked with the role. Um, I think that the, the important thing you've got to consider is Sunderland... Or or a side that boasts a lot of passionate supporters, um, and they will make their opinions known. But also, it's very easy to piss them off and turn them away from the club, as we've seen in recent years. Attendances dwindle to to a pittance of what they should be. Um, over the last eighteen months that they've been in the championship, they've been very good. They've backed the side, um, and they've been well behind it. Now the club has been consistently punching themselves in the groin. Fans are going to be um, fans are going to get turned away, and that's the that's the key thing here. So it's whether or not a bill's worth that risk. And at the minute, it's not quite paying off. No, no, fans aren't happy. And imagine if they sell Jack Clark this window, there could be riots, couldn't there? Be- well, based on their current trajectory, it's going to happen. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> if the PR train from recent weeks has been anything to go by, then get ready for a sale because it would just be it would just be very Sunderland at the moment for them to do that, wouldn't it? Yeah. So it's not going very well. They're still well in touch with the top six, but fans aren't happy at all. I mean, they haven't got a striker still, which is not helping things either. Elsewhere in the promotion race, Southampton made it 19 games unbeaten by beating Sheffield Wednesday 4-0 to keep them third in the table. Very straightforward one this for Wilson Martin's boys. Sam's three-word review on cloud nine. Chevy tease is we have momentum. They're also reportedly set to sign Joe Rothwell on loan from Bournemouth, which yeah, all right. Leeds won as well. They beat Cardiff 3-0. They've won the last three games 3-0 now. Simon's three-word review. I've said three a lot of times here. Um, getting better. And Jordan's is so, so easy. And also worth mentioning, Leeds have got a very kind run of games coming up. You'd be expecting them to win most of their next seven, put it that way. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll win them all 3-0 as well. Be very Just, Leeds if they didn't, though. Well... 
they've got ground to make up, haven't they, at this stage? And as we've seen multiple times this season, they're very good at looking very good, very, very good, and then following up with a pretty underwhelming performance. So if Leeds want to get near to that top two, that's something they've got to eradicate, isn't it? They stay fourth, do Leeds seven points off the top two. Following on from the top four is West Brom. They made it three wins from four after thumping Blackburn 4-1. They were 3-0 up after 33 minutes in the in this one. So very much a walk in the park on the uh, on the part of the Albion. They have now got a five-point cushion keeping them inside the playoffs and a preferred bidder to take over the club has reportedly been chosen. So overall, a pretty good weekend for the Baggies. Someone not having a great time of it right now is Blackburn. Seven losses in nine. They've picked up the fewest points in the division since the start of December. Gav's three-word review, car crash football. Chris says, another shit show. And they are having a terrible time of it, aren't they? Yeah, it's not good, is it? The most goals conceded in the in division as well, which is quite some going because there are some crap defences in this league this season. Um, and I want to point out as well, when was it that I said that all oh, Blackburn, you know, they could uh, sneak into the playoffs, they could have, you know, they could be in there. It must have been around sort of mid-November. Well, it wasn't long ago, was it? I can't remember no. an actual time, but it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, so I, I would make a public apology because since then it seems that they've been in free fall. Um, so I, yeah, I, I make that apology. It's not John Dahl Thompson's fault. It's my fault. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, it's, it's clear that the players are lacking confidence and you get into a point where you do question whether Thompson's got the quality to remedy it. I actually had a thought back to last season when there was a lot of noise from you suggesting that Blackburn weren't deserving of the place in the in the top six and they did fall away in the end. Um, and Thomas, and the reason for that was because Blackburn weren't creating enough chances and it took Thomas a long time to remedy that. Once he did remedy it, they looked a little bit more, um, a little bit more blunt going forward, and a little bit more frail in defence, and it kind of balanced out for them. So, yeah, the questions there are whether Thomason's good enough to turn this round. But they do have a young squad, second youngest squad in the division. That's worth pointing that out. But the way they're defending at the moment is just so poor. They made West Brom look like a swashbuckling tiki taka Barcelona inside of 2009, and quite simply, they're not. Um, but they made them look like it. Yeah, Brandon Thomas Asante is not Lionel Messi, is he? <laughs> um, but you're right, Blackburn are just an absolute car crash at the back. Since the start of December, they've let in 24 goals in nine games. The next most in that time is 18. That gives you a good idea of just how shite they've been at the back. And the strange thing is, it's by and large the same defenders as last season. And they were quite solid last season, weren't they? They've just lost all ability to defend Dom Hyam and Hayden Carter. Very good last season. This season, they look like shadows of the players that they were. And look, they've been poor at the back all season, but it's just seemingly getting worse. And Mm -hmm. what has been the case on multiple occasions is they've been letting in loads of goals, but scoring plenty. However, the attacking threat is seemingly fading uh, away as well. And that's why they've been beaten comprehensively multiple times in the last few weeks. So... Look, they're in relegation form right now. And while I think there's very little chance of them actually going down, it's incredibly worrying. As you say, they weren't far off the top six not long ago. Now their season looks like it's going off the rails. And yeah, what you mentioned about Thomas and Justin is interesting. I did see recently that he's been linked with a Sweden job. I'm yeah. not sure if that's got anything to do with it. However, my one of my big criticisms of him last season in particular was his game management and yeah, that's a good point that seems to have got 
completely and utterly worse than it was. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing, isn't it? The reason why I was so drawn to Blackburn is because they were fearless. They were exciting. They were exploiting space in behind defences. They were punishing teams. And a lot of that is down to Sammy Schmodix. He's been absolutely outstanding this season. But their game management and their control of games just isn't there, which... It begs the question of what is Thomason trying to um, trying to establish with this side? I don't quite know. Um, I really don't know. They've got a good possession-based uh, setup at times. Um, I mean, Adam Wharton's a really good progressor of the ball at the back, but they've just allowed Lewis Travis to go, so that solidity is isn't and leadership has has, has gone from that perspective. Sandro Trostad is an okay player but is he as good as traffic I don't know there's a lot of question marks for Blackburn at the moment and there's a lot of questions that need asking and I think the fans have a right to, to to some answers about the direction of the club because it's not been good enough recruitment's not been as active as it needs to be and yeah this side looks like to be it's going to be it's going to fizzle out and that's not what you need Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll look ahead to the relegation battle Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and it's now time for us to check out how our second tier multiple with SPK got on. Our first one, by the way, Justin, uh, we included uh, Game of the Week as well as just a nice two bankers from Friday and we went with Ipswich to beat Sunderland, West Brom to beat Blackburn and Coventry Leicester to beat a draw. Unfortunately, wasn't to be this week, but we're bloody close with Leicester being the only one who let us down. Of course, Ipswich won, West Brom won and then... Coventry Leicester. I thought at one point was going to be a draw, but then Coventry managed to really pull away, didn't they? But uh, yeah, we'll have another multiple in this coming's Friday preview show with SBK. So make sure you tune in then for that. Let's look at the relegation battle then, Justin, and we'll kick things off with Huddersfield 1, Plymouth 1. Dale's three-word review for Huddersfield, watching paint dry. And you could make an argument that it was a good weekend for Huddersfield because they managed to increase the gap between them and the bottom three by one point, except they were playing the team with the second worst away record in the league and the owner has been kicking off on Twitter saying it's not good enough. Kevin Nagel tweeted in all caps after the game, not good enough, and then put out a six minute video explaining what he meant by it all. And it was just a bit strange, wasn't it, Justin? I, I can't figure out why it was strange, apart from it looks like it's on the set of a porn film, first of all. <laughs> oh, God. It's a horrible <laughs> sight. It's a horrible sight. Oh, my God. 
Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a red flag in itself, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Aldous Entertainment's not ideal. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I really don't know what to make of it. I really don't know what to make of it, mainly because I'm not a big fan of outspoken owners on social media. That, then again, we've already mentioned Reading um, and their situation. You know, you've got the polar opposite where there's an owner there who's disappeared. Uh, same with West Brom, completely disappeared. So it's, 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 where you, it's where you fit with that. But I don't necessarily agree with his comments. Um, I think you've got to have a bit of realism. You didn't invest as heavily as you needed to in the summer on transfers. Um, and that's why the squad's a little bit boring. It's a little bit bland and they're just chipping away at results. You've got to do a lot this January. But again, can't be naive and expect them to blend in straight away. So a little bit of realism there, I think, needed for, for Kevin Nagel. Yeah. I also hate that he used the word or used the phrase rather, we're kicking a little fanny. Um what? that's an actual that's an actual phrase that he said in that in that video and it just conjures up images in my mind that I don't want to be thinking of. So um that that's a that's another reason why I wasn't a big fan of the video. Um I'm not sure about this guy. As far as owners go, I think his heart is in the right place. And look, there's as you say, there's plenty of owners who are a lot worse than what he's done so far. But I think he talks a lot without enough action. As you say, the summer transfer window was an absolute disaster from a Huddersfield perspective. And, you know, things like this with tweeting and putting out long videos, there's being transparent as an owner, but then there's being too transparent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I just had a flashback to my my year nine reading uh, of assignments of uh, reading of Mice and Men and thinking, yeah, Lenny's heart was also in the right place. Um, And he ended up killing animals by accident because he was too strong. Do you know what I mean? It's a situation where your heart might be in the right place, but the execution of what you do might not be the best. So I'll take a step back from social media, um, Kevin Nagel, and maybe just avoid stirring the pot among supporters because that can happen quite quickly and you can end up uh, not killing something but certainly doing a lot of damage to your reputation and potentially the club well you could be killing their chances of staying up if uh, if he doesn't figure it out soon but i mean uh, the the main takeaway from this justin is has this video made huddersfield fans less concerned about going down No. no has this video made me think this owner loves the sound of his own voice absolutely it does it like just sign players If you want to tweet out, look, I know things could be better right now, but we're working hard to bring players in. That's fine. That's exactly what I would like to see from an owner. But don't throw your own manager under the bus Mm -hmm. saying it's not good enough and then post a six minute video where you're pandering to the fans. It's because that doesn't solve anything. And that's that's the thing that's really got my grab out about this whole thing. It's a good point, isn't it? That you you need to. It's, it's the realism, isn't it? It's the realism and it's the experience. And he's he's probably just a little bit hot headed. He's just bought a club in the championship and he's trying to get the fans on board very well. I think this is something that Birmingham, other than the Wayne Rooney John Eustace situation, Birmingham City owners have been very good at. They've been working behind the scenes and improving community yeah. aspects around yeah. the club. They've done a really good job around that. And that's all you need to do as an owner. You don't need to be front and centre. And that's where I get a little bit bothered by it because you make yourself front and centre of it. You distract things unnecessarily away from the team, away from the club. And you make it about yourself. And that's what it's like. It's even the videos. You don't need to post a six-minute video of you sat on a sofa in a Leeds hotel talking, uh, explaining why what you meant by a tweet. You don't need that. You just need to say, we go again. Pretty just, we go again. That's it. Put your support behind the manager and the team. Say, say to the fans you're working hard in January and that's all you need to do. 
especially when the sofa he's on looks like the casting couch. That's, exactly. That's, that's all exactly. I'll say. Uh, three road review on Plymouth. <laughs> Paul says need a Zaz replacement. Yeah, their right back Kane Kessler Hayden has been recalled from his loan by Villa, to which a Plymouth fan responded by saying, Villa are really doing their best to fuck up our season, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Unai Emery, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> That's, of course, after Finnezaz was recalled uh, from Plymouth as well, so he could be sold to Borough. But yeah, uh, an alarming number of people going out the door at Plymouth. Yeah. They definitely need to bring bodies in, don't they? Rotherham remain bottom of the table after a 1-0 loss at home to Stoke. A brilliant free kick by Lewis Baker right in the top bin. That was the difference here in this one. But it's now one win in 15 for the Millers. Eight points from safety. And Justin, I know we're only three-fifths of the way through the season, so still a long way to go. But do you give any chance of Rotherham staying up at this stage? We're three-fifths uh, of the way through the season, uh, which is just over halfway, and yet Rotherham is still not creating anything. They're still not creating anything. So no, I don't give them any hope of staying up. Um, Fred Onyedim has gone back to Luton. Uh, Dexter Lim- Lembikasa, got his name wrong Lembikisa. probably. Lembikisa, he's gone back to Wolves. The squad is worse than it was at the start of the season. Um a lot of supporters told me that the squad was better in the summer than it was last season. It, it, it wasn't. Um, it, it lacks balance. It lacks quality. It lacks um, an identity. Um, and, that, and for that reason, it's just too much work for them to do in January. They, I just, I can't see them staying up. It's got to be a miracle. It's got yeah. to be a miracle. And they don't come very often. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it would be ridiculous to say they're relegated at this stage in the season. However, I don't see a situation where there are three worse teams than them. So I guess they virtually are relegated already. Um, The January transfer window is open. But as you say, Justin, you know, last season, they essentially kept themselves up with the business they did in January, didn't they? But it's just such a big amount that they need to do this season that I can't see it happening. So unfortunately, I think they're pretty much destined to be in League One next season. You know, Robin fans will point out that they have got a tiny budget in championship standards. And, you know, that's a completely fair excuse. What I will say, though, is you've got clubs like Plymouth, for example, whose budget is of a pretty similar standard yeah. to Rotherham. I don't know what it is exactly in comparison, but they are fine. And Rotherham just don't seem to do enough with themselves to basically maintain themselves as a championship side. Yeah, I think the excuse now of having a small budget is it's... It's not as strong meant, as it was, is it? No, it's, it's meant well, but it's not as strong as it was because you've seen the likes of Luton get to the Premier League and be competitive. So I just don't think you can rely on that. Same with Brighton in, in years got by as well. So I just don't think you can rely on a small budget. It's what you do with that budget. And unfortunately, if you keep going, if you keep, you know, if you're a, a yo-yo side, you keep going up and down, up and down, up and down. You've got to look at what's going on behind the scenes and whether or not your, your club has got the right structure behind the scenes to be a successful or long-term success. That's a very difficult thing to do. But unfortunately, clubs have done it. They've done it, they've succeeded and they've become a better. You look at Brentford going from League One to uh, the Premier League and being competitive. It can be done. You've just got to be better behind the scenes. I know it's very easy to say that now and it's a very basic comment to make, but clubs have done it, no excuses. Yeah, and in the, the clubs you mentioned there, like Brighton and Brentford, they probably had a bit more of a backing to them than Rotherham yeah, did. Yeah, but I, I just don't see what the long-term plan is with Rotherham apart from just try to keep your head above the water. And it's not worked on this occasion. It's not worked in the last few times that they've been in the championship. And I don't see them ever getting to a stage, as things stand, where they are progressing as a football club up the pyramid. 
you know. Yeah. Um, a team who were looking over their shoulder a bit were Stoke, but seem more than fine now after quite a promising start for Stephen Schumacher, unbeaten in five in the league, and they were also unbeaten under caretaker boss Paul Gallagher in his two games in charge, which means this seven-game unbeaten run is actually their longest since March 2019. So nearly five years. So not bad at all. It does also say a lot about Stoke and what they've done in that time in between. But uh, yeah, but, uh, Stephen Schumacher doing a solid job, isn't he? Let's have a brief look at the playoff race. And there was a six-pointer between two playoff-chasing sides on Friday night as Norwich won 2-1 away at Hull. An excellent goal by Johnny Rowe here. That was delightful. And <laughs> Justin, I, I need your opinion on that decision to give a free kick against, a free kick against Aaron Connolly after he nearly had his soul knocked out of his body by Angus Gunn. That was a that was an interesting call, wasn't it? That is a that is a play on no contact in an under nines game. I can tell you that for starters. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Ralph is it Ralph Schumacher, the German goalkeeper? Harold yes. Schumacher, Harold Schumacher. Yeah, who um, Ralph Schumacher remember. was a Formula One driver. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, yeah, Schumacher, the German goalkeeper, going straight through the French forward. Had images of that, but I think there's this comes where goalkeepers probably have a little bit too much protection because defenders don't jump with their knees up um, on an oncoming ball. Uh, yeah, and they don't clear in up very often. In fairness, as a goalkeeper, you are taught that when you go up for you know catching a ball or anything like that, that you're meant to put your knees up to protect yourself and. That's what Angus Gunn's done there, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, this is coming from a bloke who, uh, as a 15-year-old, puts on in an ambulance when we were playing an under-15s game together. Yeah, he was asking for doing me. Doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was me, if uh, anyone's wondering. Um, but I think, I think, in fairness to Angus Gunn, he does win the ball. But to give a free kick against Connolly is absolutely mad. I mean, he went off with a concussion, didn't well, he? Yeah. So... I'm not sure what the correct decision would have been in that situation, in all honesty, because, of course, it's dangerous. But I think it's only dangerous because Connolly doesn't know Gunn is coming because Angus Gunn's got every right to go for the ball there. Has but he can't jump with his knees, though. That's the thing. He's jumped up with his knees. Well, and I know, you're saying, I know you're saying as a goalkeeper, you're allowed to do it, but not outside the box. That's when you're claiming a ball Justin, Justin, from just, across. No, 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 Justin, Justin. Even if he didn't go up with his knee there, Aaron Connolly was going to get, you know, Gun's hip in his face. Either way, he was going to get that collision was going to be nasty. However, way he went up, so uh, you know, Gun's got every right to go for the ball. And in regards to what the correct decision was there, if you give a free kick against him, I think you've got to send him off because he was the last man. But that would be ridiculous as well because he hasn't really done much wrong. I don't think. So I guess for me, the be- the right thing to do would just be to play on. Having said that, Aaron Connolly would have needed a medium to put his soul back in his body. So I don't really know what the right call was, in all honesty. <laughs> it's a grey area in football, that one. I, I, I think it was a poor decision from referee to award, uh, award a free kick. What do you think was Connolly. the right decision then? I would have blown up for a foul. I don't think uh, it's a red card. I know he's last man, but it's about, um, it's a double, double jeopardy law. Um, I, I'd have given a yellow card to Gunn because I just don't think you can jump with your knees up, even if you're a goalkeeper. I just don't think you, you should be able to do it. But you were still going to clatter him to him once, see? That's life. Life hits you hard. So does Angus Gunn. That doesn't make sense, though. Anyway, um, a great win for Norwich. Only two points off the top six. I'm not sure how that's the case when they've only won seven from 21. But here we are. And Justin, I was looking at this team, this Norwich team on Friday night. 
Johnny Rowe, Gabrielle Sara, Josh Sargent, to a lesser extent, Boy Sainz, Moslino Nunes. There's parts of a good team here, isn't there? Mm. It's just this manager clearly isn't the man to get the best out of it. Yeah, Wagner doesn't tap into the potential of the team. That being said, there are holes everywhere in the squad. I know they were. uh, You mentioned the players there, but I just don't think they've got enough in them to be consistent enough. So, for example, if they go for a Daniel Fark appointment type appointment, they don't have a ball-winning midfielder. They don't have a defensive midfielder. I know Kenny McLean fills that role, but he's more of a um, a progressor, a ball progressor. Um, I feel like they need defenders. They don't have any pace at the back, really. Um, Probably need a little bit more pace in the final third as well. So I think there's a lot more to their squad that needs adding to then there maybe meets the eye but I think it's a good a good strong foundation solid foundation for a manager to potentially come in in the summer and add to and improve upon yeah yeah I completely agree Justin you will notice that the players I mentioned just there there weren't any defenders in that yeah. and that that's where the that's where they're looking particularly weak for me but I mean in terms of you know talented forward-thinking players Norwich do have them it's just they're being operated by a guy who doesn't know what to do with them. So in the long term, of course, Ben Napper, who's the new sporting director there, you'd like to think he will notice that Norwich have a potential to do something quite impressive next season, I'm going to say, because I, I struggle to see them actually getting into the top six this season. I don't want to completely rule it out, but I, I struggle to see it happening. Next season, if they get a new manager in, and that's someone who's forward-thinking, progressive, and you know, start addressing the imbalances in this squad. Norwich could be very good in the long term. It just needs actually doing because it's easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's easier said than done. With a lot of these things, I mean, even just mentioning the players that you mentioned, it's easier to say that they've got quality in their squad without actually dissecting their squad bit by bit and looking and identifying a style of play that'll get the best out of them so for me this season's about getting as much out of this quality that you've got in there now seeing where you're at in the summer if you're close to the playoffs and you finish close to the playoffs that's a bloody good season because this squad and manager should be nowhere near it I really um, and if you get into the playoffs big bonus let's see where you can go but obviously if they finish outside of it you reset and go again in the summer in my opinion, with a new manager and a new technical director or sporting director behind the scenes, pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah. I think you're spot on there, Justin. Fabio Carvalho did make his debut for Hull in this game. Actually had quite a good game, really, in the circumstances. So, yeah, one to definitely keep an eye on because that signing just still blows my mind now. Um, and now, Justin, I'm, I'm fully aware that we're a championship podcast and, you know, we were discussing before this show, weren't we? But we just felt compelled to talk about the situation at Reading. Of course, we do have some skin in the game because their problems started when they were a championship side. I imagine a lot of people associate Reading as a championship side as well. So it's incredibly sad to see how everything's unraveled there since the relegation from the championship. And that's been highlighted by the protest on Saturday where supporters invaded the pitch, refused to leave, and it led to the game being abandoned. Now, we shouldn't endorse people running onto the pitch, but on this occasion, I think we can make an exception because what it's done is turn Reading's plight into one of the biggest news stories of the weekend. So much so that we're talking about it. Other people are talking about it who wouldn't usually talk about Reading. And that's a good thing because it is desperate, desperate times at Reading Football Club, isn't it? Hugely desperate. And you have to talk about it. And 
it's quite quite rightly being done. Their their problems started because they were a championship club, because they had ambitions of being a Premier League club. They outspent um, they outspent themselves, and obviously they were the profit and sustainability rules stung them a fair bit and the owner seemingly got a bit bored but I think the thing that worries me a hell of a lot is Dai Young the current owner of uh, of Reading he's, he's plunged two clubs out of existence before KSV Royce Lair in Belgium and Beijing Chengfeng obviously in China um, and obviously since he took over in Berkshire just a handful of days before their 2017 playoff Berkshire. final against Huddersfield Berkshire Berkshire whatever um yeah, just a handful of days before their 2017 playoff final ver- uh, against Huddersfield, they've been relegated. They've had 16 points deducted. They've missed HMRC payments. They've cost cut to the point where players are having to eat microwave meals in the canteen. Not exactly what a professional footballer needs to fuel up and, you know, try and stave off a relegation battle. They sold he sold valuable assets, diminishing the value overall value of the club. And you know, to to to, to you know, really tip it all off, he's not had a single interview. He's had a single question where he's answered any of this it's terrible behaviour and unfortunately um, it's uh, yeah it's, it's hard to it's hard to see what happens next for Reading yeah well for those who aren't aware to give you an example of how reckless Reading's spending was when they were in the championship at one point they were spending more than twice as much on wages than they were getting in income so when you're spending that much it's always going to be a car crash if Something happens like the owner losing interest. And that's unfortunately, that's what's happened. And you've mentioned all the things there, Justin, that are currently happening at the club. The the thing that's really, or as far as I'm aware, the thing that's really kicked it all off in the past few days is players being sold behind the backs of the manager and director of football. And it's just, it's just appalling, especially, you know, the extreme cost cutting that's been happening at the club in the past few months. And Justin, of course, you're a Derby fan and nearly saw your own club fall into oblivion. In comparison, that was resolved relatively quickly while Reading are just seemingly decaying before our very eyes and nothing is being done about it. But what can be done? I mean, what can the EFL do, for example, the governing body of the the English Football League? What can they do? We've crossed this path before with Derby, as you mentioned, but it's proof that football in this country can't look after itself. There's a lot of um, self... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-governance. There's, you know, a lot of the football clubs protect their own interests and um, unfortunately an external source needs to come in and examine and scrutinised um, scrutinised what football clubs are doing and that's where a regulator steps in Reading for me the football club well the football club uh, the people at the football club the people who have been very redundant and the supporters they're all victims of a of a poor previous regime within the EFL who let this sort of reckless spending go unpunished who who who, who allowed it to, to carry on that, re- that obviously that regime has moved on um, but it's unfortunately led to the likes of Derby Sheffield Wednesday and Reading have pretty much being robbed of their short-term futures. Well, I, I don't know what the fit and proper test was doing when Dai Young came into power at Reading. But the, I mean, the worrying thing is the brilliant Sell Before We Die protest group. They put out a statement a few days ago after a meeting with club officials. They say any progress towards a sale seems to have gone backwards and that whistleblowers at the club believe Dai Young doesn't seriously want to sell. And instead, he wants to just run it down so he doesn't have to pay a debt. And this is why I feel there has to be some sort of an intervention here from the EFL. Admittedly, I'm not sure what they legally can do, but something has to happen. Because, as you say, the owner has already killed two clubs in other countries. And at the moment, I would say there's a very, very good chance that happens again here, unless something does happen. So 
I don't know whether that's the AFL strong, strong arm in it or whether the government has to even step in. I don't know, but something has to change because it's, it's, as I say, decaying at an, at an alarming rate and just seemingly getting worse as the weeks go on. Uh, Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. And the first question we asked was this. Who's finishing second? Ipswich, Leeds, Southampton. Just a short, just a small question to kick things off, Justin. I'll go with Southampton. I think they've got the squad to do it. And obviously this ridiculous unbeaten run that's uh, carrying them in good stead. Yeah, Southampton are looking very good, aren't they? I think that's undeniable. I'm going to stick with the Ipswich going up tractor for now, though. Um, 58% of people said Southampton. 22% said Leeds. Only 20% said Ipswich. Um, was Abdul Fatawu's red card against Coventry the right decision, yes or no? So if I say yes, that will completely put a spanner in the works, wouldn't it? Um, but no, I'm, I'm going to say no, it wasn't a red card. 54% of people said yes. 46 a, a big majority. 46% said no. But, Justin, it is a majority. <laughs> and that's yeah. all that matters. Spoken um, like a true Brexiteer. <laughs> that is slanderous. Um, <laughs> and finally, um, this is an interesting one, Justin. I'm very keen to hear your thoughts on this. Which goal was better? Patrick Bamford's volley against Peterborough Shit. Wes Burns's Traveller against Coventry. Shit. Shit. Big question. Yeah, that's difficult. That's really, really hard. Um, I think from a technical level, Patrick Bamford's goal is probably harder because he's had to chest down a long ball from the height and then swivel and then volley into the top corner from distance, from 30, 35 yards. I think that's a harder thing to execute. So I'm going to go with that one being the better goal. That being said, the Traveller's so nice to watch. But the, the, the pitch side angle of Patrick Bamford's one where you see the reaction of everybody just tips here. So I'm going to go with that one. 30, 35 yards is being a bit generous. It definitely wasn't that far out. But I, I see I, I see your point. I think I honestly cannot call this one. I, I genuinely don't know which one is. I think, as you as you say, the volley is probably the more difficult. Having said that, I watched the Traveller again just before we started recording and it curls such an astonishing amount. Yeah, yeah, it does. But I the, think the, I the, would... the, the pitch side angle of it, where you see the heads and hands of all the players going, oh my God, what's happened? And I then know. the fans in the background as well. I think that just tips it for me. I think the build-up for the Traveller yeah, maybe just tips it for me. I think, it, I think it's ridiculously close. It's so hard to call. But I think I will just go with the Traveller. And... Um, the listeners don't agree with me, though. 62% of people said Patrick Bamford's volley. 38% said Wes Burns's Traveller. So there you go. Now, Justin, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yep, it's time for Simon Grayson Take for Late. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example... If he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I were to then say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all of my lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your hateful eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com. And you could get a shout out the next time we do a hateful eight. Alternatively, just play along at home. Let us know how many you get. And um, who's this hateful eight from? Justin. 
It's from someone called Josh, and he wants to. It's quite an easy one, and it's only going to give you one life. But he wants you to name Neil Warnock's last eight football clubs that he's managed. Just eight football clubs in general. Caretaker spells don't um, don't count. And there's a club in here where he's had two spells at. The only count was one. Okay then. I mean, this should be easy. Should be easy. I feel like it's also very easy to completely balls this up. Um, but obviously, I'll go with Huddersfield first. That is the that is the top one. That was his last club that he was at. Good. Thank you, Justin. There you go. Um, Seven left. Thank you. I'll go with Middlesbrough. That's obviously the second club that he was at. You've got six left. That was the he was there for the twenty twenty. 2020-21 season. Yes, good. good I'm trying to add a little bit more fat to it because everyone knows who Neil Warnock is. Yeah, you're doing a great job as Thank well. Thank you. Thank you um, so much. I will next throw in Cardiff City. Of course, he took them to the Premier League and left the club in 2019. So you are correct. You've got five left. My maths nearly failed me. That's the third most recent, isn't it? That's the third most recent. If you can get this in order, I will. I won't give you a handshake because you should do. Um, I'm not sure I'll do it in order, but I don't think do it in order. You coward. No, um, I'll put QPR in there. Well, that's not in order, but you are no. correct. QPR is a club that he's had two spells at. Obviously, he got them promoted in 2012 uh, or 2011, sorry, and took caretaker charge of them in 2015 as well. So, when? How recent was the QPR one? Um, so the caretaker spell was 2015 obviously I'm not counting that so ignore what I said about him taking charge of two different clubs there's another club in there oh, Crystal Palace must be in there as well Crystal Palace is correct that's the club he was at twice yeah I thought it was 2007-2010 uh, uh, and then of course 2014 in the Premier League so is that the five most recent I've got so that is not the five most recent you've got you're missing Ooh. a club in between Palace and Cardiff um, but you've got three left Palace in Cardiff? Was there? Oh, my mind's gone blank now. Um, I'll, um, I will throw in Sheffield United. You'd be correct. It stretches all the way back to 2007 um, when they were relegated because West Ham bought Javier Mascarano and Carlos Tevez. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't sure if that was too long ago. Is that the most... Least is, recent one. That is the least recent one. So 2007 Fine. is as far as we go back in this, uh, this time. My tactic now is trying to think of where Paddy Kenny's played. And um, I don't think that's a bad tactic because he was at Leeds, wasn't he? He was. That's correct. Leeds is the one, probably the only club he's not been a success at. Leeds fans hated him. And I think he hated Leeds as well. He didn't do too badly there, to be fair, though, did he? Mm. It, was a, it was a weird time for Leeds. Have really I only got one time. more? You've got one more. And it's the club between Palace and Cardiff? It's the club between Palace and Cardiff. Oh, my God. People are going to be losing their minds at me. I I'm going to be losing my mind at myself once you tell me who it is, because I just can't remember. Um, oh, balls, Mahoney. Uh, I'm just, just shout. My mind has gone utterly blank. Just shout this a word. Is, this is so bad, but... I genuinely cannot think who it is. Shout out so, to the about. Oh, I've got it. 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 Rotherham. Thank God for that. Yeah. Sorry. It just completely left my brain. It just yeah. could not think for a moment then. 
Yeah, it was Rotherham. It was the miracle season. I think it was a season where they had a terrible, terrible start and then he came in, signed a load of players on free transfers, including like Lee Camp, Leon Best, and managed to keep Rotherham in the Championship, which was yeah. just unreal. Yeah, that was a miracle season. But he's a miracle man, isn't he, Justin? He is. He is the miracle man. He is a, a football disciple. Uh, and if any club's lucky to have his presence, then be sure to bow. I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah, you are. Make sure you're listening, Huddersfield Sound. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We will be back again on Thursday for our midweek show to talk about all the latest news. Of course, transfer window very much still open, so we'll be there then to talk about all the latest deals there and anything else happens over the next few days in the champ. So we look forward to seeing you then. As always, if you won't mind giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, whether that's Apple, Spotify, etc etc other podcast platforms are available and then it helps us go a long way to growing as a podcast and we will be eternally grateful so please make sure you take five seconds of your day to do that but this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on thursday i have been ryan dilks i have been tristan peach and a big thank you for listening Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. The Euros are just around the corner. And if you're excited about the festival of football that's to come, make sure you're listening to On the Continent across this summer's European Championships. Join me, Andy Brassel, Dot Nadabio, and a host of other expert European football journalists for everything you need to know about one of the most eagerly anticipated summer tournaments in ages. We'll have shows dedicated to answering your burning questions, a breakdown of the potential winners from all over the continent, and we'll be reacting to the biggest matches as soon as they happen. It's a European football summer, and we've got everything you need. Search On The Continent in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Frank de Boer speelt the ball. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp.